trail betides a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. A shade by day, defense by night, a shelter in the time of storm. No fears alarm, no foes affright, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of We got folk that are visiting with us tonight, some folk down here, the Trammel, Mrs. Trammel with us tonight, missionaries that served in Peru for 41 years. Good to have them tonight. I see Brother Eddie sitting over there in the wing. Doreen's the only body that's set with, the only person that's set with him. Good to have him home. And others, let's turn around and shake hands and fellowship. Welcome our visitors tonight. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, 
better in the time of storm. There's a lot of alarming things going on around the world. I was listening to the news today and just listening about this and about that and everything that's going on and thinking about, uh, of course, our men and women in Pakistan, different places, Pakistan and India fighting one another, assassination of the cabinet member in Israel last night or yesterday, and all the things are going on. I thought there's a lot of alarming things, but I tell you, not only is it alarming, but it's just like the Lord just setting everything up, getting it all ready for his return. But I'll guarantee you one thing, no matter how desperate the hour in which we live, we have a refuge, don't we? And we can rest in Him. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our midweek time service and our study of the Scriptures tonight. Again, Brother Trammell, it's good to have you. If you would, please lead us in a word of prayer. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Yes. 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 Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. Yes. Amen. Let's continue to sing. Now, you don't have these words, but it's that little chorus, praise the name of Jesus. You ever heard that? Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. And in Him will I trust. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's try that all together now. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress.
Thank you. You may be seated. As Fed Rushers come forward to receive our offering tonight, remind you that your giving on Wednesday night uh, goes to support the Bible conference that we have every fall. We just completed it. Now we start raising the funds again for next year. And I want to express my appreciation for your giving last year. We were able to meet all of our needs for the conference, and we praise the Lord for that. Even had a few dollars left over, which is very, very rare in a Baptist church. Amen? But you gave good, and I appreciate it. Let's pray now. Father, bless the offering. Bless our giving tonight. And for all the things that are going on, even this night, Awana, our teenagers in their midweek service, and then all the things that go on throughout the rest of this week, our faith tomorrow night, then our services on Sunday, may they all be blessed of you. Again, bless the offering tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord tonight for his faithfulness. You know, no matter what uncertainties or fears we face, whether it's war across the sea or maybe a raging war in our very own hearts, he's always faithful. The song is called Faithful Father. Father, 
Ladies, if y'all come back to town just a minute. Sherry, would you mind singing Touching Jesus is All That Matters? I don't know why. I'm just so impressed you do that tonight, if you don't mind. Ladies, it's going to be uh, 265. Sherry, thank you for that song. And ever, thank you, Father. Yes, he is. 
can touch him. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 1, the book of James chapter 1, and we continue our study through the book of James tonight, picking up where we left off last Wednesday night. James chapter 1, would you stand as we honor the public reading of his word? We're going to look at verse 17 and verse 18 tonight. James chapter 1, verse 17 and verse 18. Now, we'll also look at these verses tonight. And uh, the thought that came to my mind as I read them is that he giveth and giveth again. You should have a little brochure bulletin as you came in where you can follow and make notes as we go along. But look at these two verses. James 1, 
Verse 17 and verse 18. Let me get to the book of James. Titus 1 won't work. Let me get to James chapter 1 and read. James chapter 1 verse 17. The Bible said every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Thank you. May be seated. Let's pray. And then tonight we'll look at these two verses and think about how that he giveth and giveth again. We're going to learn something about God's giving and God's gifts tonight. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you tonight that you are faithful. We thank you tonight that you are unchangeable. And we can trust you and we can touch you, knowing that when we come to you and bring our needs to you, that we'll find in you a refuge and a shelter in the time of storm. Thank you for that. And Father, we know those things and we are assured of those things because of your word. And so, Father, we thank you tonight for the word of God, for the wonderful things that it tells us about you, for what it reveals about you, truths to bless our heart and to strengthen our hearts and to comfort our hearts. We ask you tonight, Lord, that as we study your word, that you will help us, Lord, to learn your word. And then, Lord, help us, Lord, to take the truth that we learn, put it into our hearts, put it into our lives, work it out in our lives day by day. Thank you again for this tremendous truth before us. Help us to see it tonight by the help of the Spirit of God. And we'll thank you and praise you for it is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The title that I have given to these two particular verses tonight comes from a hymn written by Annie Johnson Flint entitled, He Giveth More Grace. It's a great song. Arlen and Myrna have sung it here on several different occasions, but a tremendous song. The chorus goes, His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth, and he giveth again. Isn't that a wonderful thought? I especially love the second stanza that says, When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength is failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's giving, full giving, is only begun. Again, wonderful, wonderful thoughts. It's very obvious that the songwriter was acquainted with the great truth that God is a giving God. When we think of God's giving, we have to say with the songwriter that he giveth and giveth and giveth again. You notice verse 16 of our text. I take you back to last Wednesday night. And we read in verse 16, and we looked at this last Wednesday night, but the Bible said, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Verse 16 is actually a pivotal verse between verses 15 and verse 17. As we saw last Wednesday night, the word err means to stray. He tells us, do not stray, do not err, my beloved brethren. And he says that in light of what he has just said in verse 15, in the verses preceding to that, and he also says it in light of what he's about to say. You could say that in verse 16 he's given us two reasons why we should not err or stray as a believer's. They are in your bulletin there, the two points that I listed there. First, we should not err in light of what sin will do to us. 
you remember in, our preceding, in the preceding verses in our study last Wednesday night, James spoke of temptation. And we saw as he spoke of temptation the consequences of yielding to temptation. He tells us in verse 15 that then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's the consequences of yielding to temptation. And so he says in verse 16, Therefore do not err, do not stray. In light of such consequences, we should not err. But not only does it give us a reason in verse 15, but also it lays the foundation for the reason that is given in verse 17. Secondly, we should not err because, one, the consequences of sin or what sin will do to us. But secondly, we should not err in light of all that God gives us or all that God gives to us. You see, beginning in verse 17, he tells us that God is a giving God. That's the thought behind verse 17, verse 18, that God is a giving God. So he tells us, do not err in verse 16. Do not err in light of what I've just said, in light of what sin will do to you. And second of all, do not err in light of what I'm about to say. And that is, do not err in light of all that God gives us. You see, all through the Bible, we are reminded of God's giving. That familiar John 3.16 is a wonderful testimony of the giving nature of God. We know the verse by heart. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a wonderful testimony of the giving God. Romans 8.32 declares, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things. Over and over again, the Bible tells us that God is a giving God. And the Bible teaches us that we are the recipients of God's giving. Therefore, in light of all that God gives us, in light of all that God does for us, we should not err. We should not err in light of the grief that we see in sin, and we should not err in light of the goodness that we see in God. Sin is grievous, God is gracious. And both serve as a reason not to stray as a believer. Again, what sin will do to us and what God gives to us is motives for living for God and not erring and not straying. I say all that to say this in verse 17 and 18, James talks about God as a giving God. Let's look at these things, uh, these two verses, and I point out two things tonight and some subpoints under those about God's giving as we see in our text. The first is this. Write the fill in the blanks in your little bulletin. The first thing that we see is found in verse 17. And I see a declaration of God's giving. I see a declaration of God's giving. It is declared in verse 17 that God is a giving God. Look at verse 17 again. The Bible said every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Again, in verse 17, James is telling us that God is a giving God. I think about a story I read one time, a legend of an ancient kingdom whose king had died. And ambassadors were sent to choose a successor from two twin infants. And when they found the little fellows, they were fast asleep. And looking at them, they found it difficult to decide which one was to be made king. 
But then they noticed something about the two babies. They noticed that one of the infants had his tiny fist closed tight and the other slept with his little hands open. They immediately chose the infant with his hands open. And legend goes that he grew up to be known throughout the land as the king with the open hand. Well, may I say to you tonight that our God is not the God of the clenched fist. Our God is the God with the open hand. He is a giving God. He is a God, as we shall see, that gives and gives and giveth again, as the songwriter said. Notice with me more carefully what he, verse 17 says about God's giving. Two things I want to point out about God's giving. The first is this. I see in verse 17 that God is unchanging in His giving. Terry just sung about God being unchanging. God is unchanging in His giving. James declares the unchanging giving of God in both His name and in His nature. For you notice in verse 17 in, in our text that He has given the name the Father of lights. The name refers to God as being the creator of light in the form of the sun and the moon and the stars. When James called him the father of lights, he was saying that he is the creator of the sun, that God is the creator of the moon, and that God is the creator of the stars. Genesis 1.16 describes God creating these lights. And God made two great lights, the Bible said. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars also. Again, God is the creator of the lights or the sun, the moon or the stars, the father of lights as James calls it. And he created the sun and the moon for the specific purpose, as Genesis said, of dividing day from night. And not only for dividing the day from the night, but also for providing light for the earth, as verse 17 said, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. Well, James reaches out, and James is a master illustrator. And he takes this picture of astronomy, and he uses it to illustrate a great truth about God, and illustrate a truth that God is unchanging and that God is unchanging in His giving. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Notice the word variableness. You see that in verse 17, it, he says that in God there is no variableness. Underline that word in your Bible. The word variableness literally means there is no variation or there is no change with God. When James states that He is the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, He's saying that in God there is no variation. That in God there is no change. What John James is saying is that God is an unchanging God. Malachi 3.6, God Himself testified, For I am the Lord, I change not. And the same truth is stated to the Lord Jesus in Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's talking about the unchangeableness of God. Theologians often use the phrase, the immutability of God. And when they use that phrase, the immutability of God, they're referring to the changelessness of God. And by that, they mean that God does not change in His essence, that there is no alteration, there is no variation in God's substance, that He is the immutable God. He is an unchangeable God. I'm glad tonight that we have a God in whom there is no variableness. 
There is no variation. There is no change. I was recently reading about the first American astronaut that went into space, and as he was preparing to go into space, one reporter asked him the question, what are you depending on most in your venture? And I'm sure the reporter, when he asked that question, he expected the astronaut to say, well, I'm depending on the quality of my equipment or his navigational skills or the people at the space center that were working behind the scenes. But that's not the answer he got. Again, he said, what are you depending on most in your venture? And this is what his answer was, that God will not change his laws. I'm saying to you tonight that God does not change. And God will not change because He cannot change. It's not a matter that God will change or He could change. Now, I want you to listen to me tonight. There is the unchangeableness of God. There is the immutability of God. He will not change because He cannot change. He cannot change for the worse because He's holy. He cannot change for the better because He's perfect. God is unchangeable. A.W. Pink said it well. God cannot change for the better for he's already perfect and being perfect he cannot change for the worse. Now we think about change. There's change all around us. Everything around us is constantly changing. I was thinking the other day about the first time that I ever came to the city of Chattanooga. It was in the spring of 1974. That's been 27 years ago. And there's a lot of things that has changed in Chattanooga in 27 years. For one thing, you now see Lookout Mountain in the daytime. Can I get amen right there? And there's a lot of changes in Chattanooga and a lot of changes in this area. We are constantly changing. I preached this past Friday night in a tent meeting, and this gentleman, I'm not sure that I'd ever met him before, but he knew me, and he walked up to me, and he looked at me and said, Brother Trivet, and he just stood and looked at me for a moment, and this is what he said. He said, I remember you when you was a little bitty fella. And I thought to myself, I looked at him, he didn't have a hair on his head. I thought, well, I still got my hair, amen? I have changed a pound or two, but I know some that have changed a few more pounds than I have. We are changing. Things around us change. We are changing. Things are constantly changing. But God, He never changes. The Bible said in Psalm 102, 25, 26, and 27, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same and thy years shall have no end. He's an unchangeable God. There is no variableness in the nature of God. And James illustrates the unchanging nature of God by referring to the lights or the light or the sun that God created. For example, there are times that we do not see the sun. If you were to walk out of this building tonight and look up into the heavens and look up in the sky, you would not see the sun. You see, our earth is spinning on its axis. Therefore, there are certain hours when the part of the earth on which we live is turned toward the sun. That gives us our day. And there's uh, hours and certain hours when the part of the earth on which we live is turned away from the sun. That gives us our night. But even though there are certain hours when we do not see the sun, the sun is still shining. What changes is the earth and the position of the earth, not the sun. Now, it may be night to us right now, but it's daytime for somebody else on the other side of the earth. The sun is always shining. That never changes. And James says, I want you to understand, there is no variableness in God. 
God is a giving God. He is an unchanging God. He doesn't change. He is always the same. He is God. Now, there are times when the sun is eclipsed and the light of the sun is dimmed or blackened out. But again, that's not due to the sun ceasing to shine. That's due to the fact that something's become, become as something has come between us and the sun. And there may be times in your life that God cannot be seen. That's not God's fault. Whenever we allow something to come between us and God, then we'll not see His face. But one thing is true. The sun is always shining. And what James is saying and reminding us is that God is God. He's the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness. Talking about eclipse. Same thing James had that idea in mind when he stated there, there is neither shadow of turning in God. See that statement there in verse 17? Underline it. There is neither shadow of turning. It literally means a shadow as a result of turning. There is no shadow of turning. There is no shadow as a result of God turning. You know why shadows are cast? It's because this earth is changing its position in relation to the sun. And thus there is a shadow that is cast. But it's the earth that has changed. It is not the sun that has changed. It is the earth. He never changes. There is no turning on God's part. He is the unchangeable one. God by nature is a giving God. And that will never change. That's what James is saying. He giveth. And he giveth. And he giveth again, and that will never change. He is an unchangeable God in his giving. Now, we may allow something to get in, in our lives and stand between us and God, and the result is that we don't enjoy what God gives. But the truth of the matter is, God continues to be a giving God. Are you with me now? Say amen. He is unchanging in his giving. Look at the second thing. Not only do I see in the text that God is unchanging in his giving, but also he is unceasing in his giving. And notice verse 17 again. We see that the gifts God gives, now notice this phrase, is from above. It is from above, meaning that God's gifts, and we'll look at these gifts more in detail in just a moment. But he says that these gifts are from above, they, meaning that these gifts originate in God. That is that they come from God. And he talks about a good gift and a perfect gift. And again, we'll look at a good gift and a perfect gift in just a moment. But he said, all of these come from God. And may I say tonight that anything that comes from God is going to be good. And anything that comes from God is going to be perfect. God's given couldn't be anything less because God cannot be anything less. He is a God that is good and perfect. Therefore, all of his giving is good and is perfect. It comes from above. But here's what I want you to say. You notice carefully that James tells us that which is from above comes down. <laughs> he says that it cometh down in verse 17. See those two words? Cometh down. Again, he's reminding us that God gives. There is that which is from above. But it doesn't stay above. It comes down. God gives it to us. See the words cometh down. They're in what we call the continuous present tense which means that God continues to give, that God unceasingly is giving, that He is always giving. When He said that these gift, gifts cometh down, He is telling us that God continues to give, that He never ceases to give, not for a single moment. Now listen to me tonight. You believe God's a giving God? 
You believe God gives? Now, James tells us that He is always giving. He tells us that God's giving is not occasional, that God's giving is constant. He is always giving. He has always been giving. He is giving, and He always will be giving. There is never a moment when God is not giving. In other words, friends, we are constant recipients of the things that God gives in our life. His giving is unchanging. His giving is unceasing. He is a giving God. On March the 27th in 1808, there was a grand performance of the creation that took place in Vienna, and the composer himself, Franz Joseph Haydn, that was 76 at the time, was able to be in attendance. Very feeble at that time. In fact, it was so feeble that he had to be wheeled in the theater in a chair. But as the chorus and the orchestra burst into full power in the passage, and there was light, the whole crowd was electrified, and they burst into applause and cheers, standing to their feet, turning toward the great composer to show their appreciation. And the old composer was seen striving to raise himself up. And once he got on his feet, he mustered up all of his strength, and in reply to the the applause of the audience, he cried out as loudly as he could, No, no, not from me, but... And then he pointed toward heaven. From thence, from heaven, from above, comes all. And then he fell back in his chair, faint and exhausted, had to be carried from the room. I think about all that God gives. And all of us tonight have to stand and say, all that is good and all that is perfect comes from thence. It comes from above. It comes from God. God is a giving God. He is unchanging in His giving. He is unceasing in His giving. A declaration of God's giving. But look at the second thing I want you to see. Not only do we find in verse 17 and 18 a declaration of God's giving, but second of all, a description of God's gifts. He tells us that God is a giving God, but he also has something to say about what God gives. There is a declaration of his giving, but there is a description of his gifts that come from above, and because these gifts come from above, There's a divine quality and a value about these gifts. For example, you notice in these two verses, I find three particular gifts that he gives. The first one is this. And it's what I want to call God's profitable gifts. God's profitable gifts. Look at verse 17 at the words, every good gift. He talks about a good gift in verse 17. You see the word good, the adjective good there, every good gift. The word good speaks of that which is gentle or that which is noble. And it implies that the gift is beneficial for the one that receives that gift or the gift is beneficial for the recipient. In other words, that God gives us noble things and He gives these gifts and they're given and received and they're beneficial and profitable for those who receive them. I think of 1 Timothy 6, 17, where Paul said, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. He gives these things that we might profit from these things. 
He gives these things that we might benefit from these things. They're for our enjoyment, literally for our full enjoyment and benefit. We could say that God wants to enrich our lives tonight. God wants to enrich us, and He does so through His giving. All that He gives to us brings His eternal riches and benefits in our life. We sit here tonight, and every person in this room, some have more than others, but I'll guarantee you one thing. Every one of us in this room tonight have benefited from the giving of God in our lives. And we sit here tonight fat with the blessings of the Lord. We have been enriched. We have been benefited by the giving of God. As the psalmist said in Psalm 103, 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. It is God's gifts that are profitable. In fact, I find it very interesting that the word good is a word that has no regular degrees of comparison. A little child might come along and say and talk about that which is gooder. Or a little child, or some of us adults, we may talk about that which is goodest. Well, may I say this tonight, that when it comes to God's good gifts, there are no gooder gifts, and there are no goodest gifts. When the gifts that we, re- then the gifts that we receive from God, they don't get any better. But I put it this way, the good, best thing you could ever have is what comes from God. You remember in our last study when we looked at temptation? We looked at the subject temptation. You might say the temptation in a nutshell is this world right now. But again, may I put it this way, it don't get any better than what God gives. There are no better gifts. There are no greater gifts. They are God's good gifts, and they're given for our benefit, and they're given for our profit, God's profitable gifts. Look at the second one. Not only does he talk about God's profitable gifts, but second of all, let me point out what I call God's purposeful gifts. Look at verse 17. He not only talks about every good gift, But he also talks about every perfect gift, underlying the word perfect there. When we think of something that is perfect, we usually think of that which is without a flaw or that which has no fault or that which has no defect. And it is true that God's gifts are without fault or defect, but that's not the meaning of the word that is used here. The word perfect that is used there or perfect is the word that speaks of the end of something, the result of something, the fulfillment, the completion, or the consummation of something. The objective being reached of some particular end in mind or the objective being reached of some goal that was in mind. When he talks about God's perfect gift, it's not necessarily talking about there without flaw or defect. That is true. But he's saying that the gifts that have been given to us, that they have as they're in the accomplishment of something in our life, that everything God gives has a purpose in it. God just doesn't lavish His goodness and gifts upon us for no reason at all. But God gives, and He gives His gifts with the ideal of bringing something to pass in our life. There is something that God wants to perform in our life. There's something that God wants to achieve in our life. And so all of His giving has a goal in mind. Now, I didn't put these in your bulletin, but I am putting them on the screen. And I want you to jot these three things down. There are many of them, but let me just point out three of them. Jot them down in the margin of your bulletin there somewhere. I think of many reasons, but let me point out three reasons why God gives to us and how their perfect gifts, they have a goal in mind. For one thing, I think of how His giving and gifts are designed to increase our adoration of Him. 
His giving makes us love Him more and more. And would you not say amen when I say that the more He gives, the more that we love Him? He is constantly winning our hearts through His giving. He is constantly giving to us, and it increases our adoration of Him. Second of all, it gives to increase our appreciation for Him. His giving and His gifts only make us, uh, His giving and His gifts only make us more grateful and appreciative of Him. And the more you understand how undeserving we are of what He gives, then the greater the depths of our appreciation. God is always giving. He's unchanging in His giving. He's unceasing in His giving. But here's the overwhelming part of it all. I don't deserve one thing God gives to me. We none deserve His gifts, but He gives anyway. And that ought to make you appreciate God even more. He gives in order to increase our adoration of Him. He gives to increase our appreciation for Him. But last but not least, He gives to increase our consecration to Him. His giving and His gifts only make us want to serve and follow Him more. In light of all that God does for us, in light of all that God gives to us, how can we withhold anything God would ask of us? Sometimes from some folks seemingly never get involved and never want to serve God, and I say they do that because they've never really stopped and thought about how good God's been to them. And how much God has given to their life. Because if they did, they'd want to serve God and they'd want to give their life to Him. You see, I could go on and on and on. God's giving and His gifts are perfect. They always have a divine end and goal in mind. God gives that we might enjoy heavenly benefits. And He gives to bring to pass His plans for our life. May I remind you tonight that God's gifts, they don't always come in a beautiful package. I remind you that sometimes God give, God's gifts come in the form of trials. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, we've seen James 1, that James has a lot to say about trials. Look in verse 4, back in verse 4. He said, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Twice. You see the word perfect there. There's our word. Same word found down in verse 17. He tells us in verse 4 that one of the reasons trials comes in our life is that God might bring to fulfillment His plan for our life to perfect us, to fulfill us, to complete, to bring to consummation His will for our life. Trials sometimes are God's gift. I think about the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12. You're familiar with that. Listen to verse 7. Listen carefully to 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul said, in lest... I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Did you listen closely? Paul said there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh was. But most agree that it was some kind of physical problem, maybe his eyesight. Most have, believed, have the idea that Paul was not the most healthy man that you would ever met. A man that had multitudes of physical problems, difficulty seeing, and all kinds of physical problems. Whatever there was, Paul said, it was given to me. He said it was a gift from God to keep me humble. It was a gift of God. 
bring to pass God's plan and God's purpose in my life. You see, God's perfect gifts may come in various ways and may come in various forms, but they always come with a purpose. There is God's gifts. They are good. They're beneficial. They're God's gifts. They have a purpose in our life. Aren't you glad for that? Amen? But let me give you the third and the final one that I see, and that's found in verse 18. It's what I want to call God's paramount gift. There is His profitable gifts. They are good. And there is His purposeful gifts. They are perfect. But in verse 18, we have what is, in my opinion, the greatest gift that God gives. We read in verse 18, Of His own will begat He us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. As believers, we receive and continue to receive and will forever be recipients of many wonderful gifts from God. There's no way we can number them, no way we can enumerate them, no way we can list them. But in my opinion, the greatest gift that we've ever received from God was when He saved us by His marvelous grace. It's like John Newton said in his great hymn, Amazing Grace, when we've been there, 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. When we've been in heaven eternity for 10,000 years, we'll still be praising God for His saving grace. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that salvation is a gift of God. And again, my opinion is by far the greatest gift that we've ever received. How many of you are saved tonight? Then you've got a gift from God, a wonderful gift, God's paramount gift of all that he could bless us with. None are greater than when he made us sons of God. Notice verse 18, what he had to say about this paramount gift from God. We see that he talks about our salvation. And we see several things in verse 18 that we find in our salvation. For one thing, we find that in our salvation, in our salvation we find the will of God. Notice what he said in verse 18. He began by saying, of his own will begat he us. See those words, of his own will? It literally means having willed it. When he said having willed it, of his own will, he uses words that speaks of a planned course of action. A choice that has been made by God. Now you ask the question, what is this course of action? What is this choice that has been made by God? Let me say first of all that it's not that God willed some to be saved and He willed that some not be saved. I love the way Henry Ward Beecher used to say it. The elect are whosoever will and the non-elect are whosoever won't. That pretty well settles it, amen? But salvation is not limited. It is for whosoever will that will come. When he talks about God willed it or of His own will, it's not saying that He chose some to be saved and some He chose not to save. No, this is what He's talking about. The Bible tells us that before the foundation of the world, God made a choice. And that before the foundation of the world, this was a choice that God made. This was the course of action that God chose. And the choice that He made was to send His Son to come to this earth, to die on Calvary's cross for our sins, that He might provide salvation for all men. There's a course of action God took. There was a choice that He made, and there was a course of action that He took the choice was to send His Son. The sending of the Son was the course of action that He took. Now listen to me tonight. God did not have to make that choice. 
God chose to send His Son to be the Savior of all mankind. But God didn't have to choose to do that. God, there's nowhere that required God to send His Son to die for our sins. God could have, and He would have been just in doing so. He told Adam and Eve, there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'm, I'm your God. I'm giving you a perfect world. There is no sin in this world, but I want you to love me by choice. And I want you to serve me by choice. And he said, I'm giving you a will to make decisions on your own. It's all yours to enjoy, but do not eat of the tree of knowledge and evil. But they disobeyed God. Their disobedience brought sin in the world. God would have been just when he said, all right, I gave you a choice. You didn't listen to me. It's your decision. You can die in your sins and go to hell. God could have done that, and he would have been just in doing so. But I'll tell you what choice he made. God made a choice before man ever come along that he, would, he, that he would give his son. And the course of action he took was that one day God robed himself in human flesh and inhabited a human body and came to this world to die for our sins. That's the will of God. That's how he willed our salvation. And I'm thank God he did, aren't you? He willed it. You see the will of God in our salvation. But not only do you see the will of God in our salvation, but you see the Word of God in our salvation. For it tells us in verse 18 that the instrument God used to bring us to Christ was His Word. Verse 18 tells us that we were begot or begat or begotten or born again. And how were we born again? By the Word of truth. Now you listen to me tonight. There's not a person that's ever been saved that somewhere did not come in contact with the Word of God. It may have been through a message that was preached by a preacher. It may have been through a tract that was read. It may have been through a verse they remembered when as a child a mama read a verse to them or they heard a verse somewhere like that. It may have been through a soul winner that witnessed to them. But in every case, the instrument that God used was the Word of God. I submit unto you tonight, there's no greater joy and there's no greater honor than the honor of preaching God's Word or teaching God's Word or going out and sharing God's Word because that is the instrument that God saves people by. The will of God and the Word of God. Look at the last thing you see in our salvation. You see in our salvation the work of God. What did salvation do for us? What happened the day you got saved? God, through the instrument of His Word, converted you, convicted you, and converted you. But when he saved you, what did he do for you? Verse 18 tells us that we that are saved, that we are saved, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The idea of first fruits takes us back to the Jewish system of offerings. For example, the first fruits of the harvest. There was the first fruits of the harvest. The firstborn, they were given to God. James here has the ideal, the first fruits of the harvest. Here's what they'd do. They would bring a sheaf of the wheat. They would sow their seed, and as the wheat began to come up, then they would harvest the first fruits of it, or bring the first fruits of that harvest when they would harvest it. And they would bring a sheaf of that wheat, the very first part that was cut. They would bring it to the priest, and they would wave it before the Lord as an admission that all that is yet to come belongs to God. When James talked about being a first fruits, a kind of first fruits, what he's saying in verse 18 is that God willed it, that God 
made a choice, and the choice became a course of action in the giving of His Son. And through His Word, we have been born in the family of God. And the result is that we have become the possession of God. We belong to God. Look up here. He is mine. And here's what's even more thrilling. I am His. I am God's property. I belong to Him. You've been saved. You're a kind of first fruits. You belong to God. You've been brought to God. You've been bought with the price. You are the property of God. Reminds me of that familiar little story. Of the familiar story of that little boy that made him a little toy sailboat. You probably heard it. Heard it years ago when I first got saved. So the boy made him a little sailboat. And he went out to the pond one day to sell his little, pa- little sailboat. And he was so thrilled as he watched his little wooden boat bounce upon the waves. But the wind began to pull the little boat away from shore. And all the little broken-hearted boy could do was watch it as it was blown out of reach and eventually blown out of sight. His little sailboat was gone. Several weeks later, he was walking through town, and to his su- surprise, he saw his little sailboat in a store window for sale. He rushed inside, bought the little sailboat, and he was overheard as he walked down the street hugging his little sailboat. You're now mine twice. I made you, and now I have bought you. And when he tells me that I am a kind of first fruits, he's telling me that God, that I am now his property. I'm saying to you tonight, the greatest gift that we ever received from God was when he made us his own. By his own will, through the word of truth, we have become God's children. That's a great gift from God. Amen? Take your prayer sheet tonight. Look at it. We're going to pray for our missionary of the week, our church of the week, special requests, and then we're going to come and gather around the altar and pray for these things. Our missionary of the week is Carlos and Susan Narcy, serving in Venezuela with Baptist International Missions. We support them here. They visit here. A real great missionary couple. Appreciate them. Uh, the RC family, I want to pray for them. Our Church of the Week is Oakland Heights Baptist in Cartersville, Georgia. Sammy Burgess, of course, his dad pastored here for a number of years. Sammy's doing a good job. We want to remember him. And then our hospital list, Memorial Hospital, Steve Green's mother, Joyce, had knee surgery. And then Lane Von Smith, my friend of Susan Dame, a little newborn that had heart surgery on Monday. And then Billy Jackson at Erlanger Hospital. And then special request given to us, a Kristen Lusk, a 19-year-old that was seriously injured in a car accident. And then also add to your list, hospitalist Joanne Wyndham. Uh, she is in Park Ridge Hospital, I believe in room 406. So let's remember Joanne tonight. Add her to your hospital list. God is a giving God. Amen? And we ought to give back in return. Let's come. Gather around the altar. Let's talk to this God. A God in whom there is no variance. A God that gives and gives to us. His giving ought to inspire us to ask for more. Knowing that He's constantly giving in our life. So let's pray. Let's pray for our missionary of the week. Let's pray for our church of the week. And for these in the hospital. Let's pray for all the things that are going on. Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for the truth of your word that you giveth and giveth and giveth again. We're constantly being recipients of your giving.
your unchanging giving, your unceasing giving, constantly receiving from you gifts that are for our benefit, gifts that have divine purposes in mind. We're constantly, daily, made the recipient of these wonderful gifts and of your giving, and we thank you for it. We love you for it. Thank you most of all that, Lord, of your own will, you begat us with the word of truth that you made us your own. We've become your child. We've become your possession. We've become your people. We thank you for that. And we rejoice in it. Thank you, Lord, for your giving, your gracious giving, giving and gifts that we do not deserve. But we thank you that through Jesus Christ, we have been made recipients of your giving. So we thank you for all this. Lord, you've blessed us here at this church. You've given and given and given to us. And Father, we ask you, Lord, that we'll let nothing become between us and you that would block out your face and hinder us from being recipients of your giving. But we'll follow you and honor you and obey you and please you in all things. Father, tonight we do remember our missionary of the week. We pray for the RC family that's serving in Venezuela. Thank you for their ministry, their years of faithfulness to you there. Bless their ministry tonight. Bless the hearts of the people there. Open hearts to the gospel. Soften hearts to the truth of the word. Bless them and use them and give them a harvest of souls. Brother Sammy and for Oakland Heights Baptist, may your hand be upon them. Bless them. Do wonderful things for them. Multiply, Lord, what you've done for them. And may they see even greater things done in the days to come. Bless Brother Sammy. Bless the church. Father, for our folk in the hospital tonight, Joanne and others, Joyce and different ones, special requests, friends and family members of our church family, touch them and meet every need, Lord. God, I pray you would work in those situations. And then for all the things going on here, Lord, Bless our faith teams as they go out tomorrow night. Give us the opportunity and the privilege of winning someone to the Lord. Give us the opportunity to share the gospel. Lord, bless our visiting tomorrow night and for the many that will be going out and trying to reach others. Bless on the Lord's day. God, give us a great day. Give us a glorious day. May there be a mighty moving of the presence of the Lord. May we see wonderful things done on Sunday. God, bless our plans and our uh, things are, that we're working on and things we're striving for. Help us to reach our goals. Work miracles. May we stand amazed at all that you do for us. And of course, Lord, we ask all of this for your honor and for your glory. Purges of any ulterior motives or any selfish reasons. God, may it all be done for your glory and for your work. Father, bless now. Thank you again for your giving and your unceasing giving. Bless now the word. Use it in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Be sure to let our visitors know how thrilled we are to have them tonight. Some folks in the back over here, around the building, speak to them. Don't get in such a hurry that you miss them.